Today's message is entitled, Someone Lied to Our Teens. And if you have if your Bible turned to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, the Apostle Paul is writing here and he says this. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Such a brief, brief verse, so filled with power for us. And uh, let, let's read it one more time and just let the words just kind of go off the paper and, and inside of our spirits. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. He, he literally means here to, to count uh, uh, as, as no of importance the, the opinions of other people. Uh, another way to say it might be to say, let no one tell you that your youth is of no importance. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just humble myself before you now in front of the, these people. And God, I know that I may be the least likely person in the world to speak to, to, uh, to young people today about living uh, their teen years from God. Because Lord, I know I failed you miserably in my teenage years. And so who am I to speak? And yet, yet, Lord, it was during my teenage years that you became real to me. So I know that you can work in, in teenage hearts. And I know, God, that there are, there, there, are, there are teenagers in this church that are living for you. And, and Lord, I'm not unworthy to unfasten their, sh their shoelaces, Lord. And, and yet, God, you have called me to be their pastor for, for, for some reason. And, and maybe even just for what you want to do today. And so, God, I'm just asking that your Holy Spirit would come upon me. You would well up in, inside of me and speak through me today. I pray, God, that every young person, every adult, every child, every person who, who's in this place today will say, I didn't so much hear from the pastor, I heard from God. And I believe you for that. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. A few years ago, a youth leader taught a class to some junior high students at a youth camp. And as part of that class, the teacher distributed a questionnaire and asked the students to, to fill it out anonymously. Many of the answers were very touching. Many were very engaging. But there was one that stood out. And I want to share it with you. Some of the questions and answers from this junior high boy. This is an 8th grade boy at a Christian youth camp. Here's the, here's the list. Things I wish I could change. Nothing. When I was growing up, I always wanted to be nothing. My biggest appointment, disappointment right now is... Other people. The thing I hope for most in life is nothing. If I could be, if I could be given a million dollars, the person I would spend it on is me. If God could answer one prayer of mine this week, it would be nothing. If I could change one thing about me, it would be nothing. The thing that gets me down most is life. The thing that gets me most excited about life is when it's finally over. That's an eighth grade boy. And when I hear that, I think, what could an eighth grade boy be going through that he would say that the most exciting thing about life is when it's finally over? That's a boy who has, has not learned the value of his own life. And we dare not hold as of, as of no account, with, as of no value, the great gift that we are given. And it's a gift that we are given for only a fleeting time. It's a gift of youth. There is a balance here, and we've got to have that balance. <coughs> Excuse me. First of all, 
We must value the gift for what it is. Youth is a gift that, that you can present to God, but it is a fleeting gift. Can I say amen? You can never give your youth to God later in life. Young people need to hear this, that the Bible says to give God the first fruits, the first fruits of your life. Now what happens is, too, way too often is that we squander our youth, we despise our youth, we count it as of no account, we don't give it to God, and if you are young, the only thing you have to give to God is your youth, but we squander it on ourselves, we count it as of no value, a gift that is worthy of giving to God, and thereby we waste it, and then we get to, you know, when we're 25 or 25, 26, or, or really, really old, you know, 28, and you can barely walk anymore, and, and, and then we say, I wish I'd given my youth to God, and I have regrets because I waited so long, but now it's over with. See, youth is a gift that you can only give to God when you're young. You can't give your, your life to God retro retroactively. Everyone lives in the now. So, so listen to this. You either give God your youth or you steal your youth from him. If anything is worth counting of value, of significance, then it's worth presenting as a gift to God. Paul wrote this in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in, the view, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, here's the question I have for you. At what point do we have control of our bodies? The answer is now. You cannot give your body to God yesterday. You cannot give your body to God tomorrow. All you have is now. Therefore, if you're young, you may give your youth to him now. But if you waste it, you will never, ever again have the opportunity to give God your youth. On the other hand, we must also say to ourselves that though the gift of youth is precious and important and it is a fleeting gift, the reality is... We must not get stuck there. Youth is not an end in itself. Youth is life in transition. We, you know, we have become a nation of youth worshipers. We really have. There, there's nothing in the world any sillier than grown-up people who are trying to act younger than they really are. You know, that's what makes teenagers cringe when mom and dad try to act cool around their kids, you know, and, 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 and there's nothing more ludicrous and absurd than watching some big, full-grown man who's stuck in his frat days in college and he's still living like an adolescent sophomore. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a sad, sad thing. And there's nothing sillier than a grown woman who, who tries to dress and talk like she's a 16-year-old. You know, she's 55 years old and still trying to uh, act 16. It's just silly and pathetic, and you just want to say... Look, lady, for Pete's sake, just grow up. You know, and we, and, and then they, and we worship, you know, I'm going to tell you, we worship you, plastic surgery. You know, nobody wants to be old. Everybody, everybody gets these, you know, surgery done. You get all these Hollywood people and they're stuck in their glamour years. They're the glory days of the, of the old days when they were, when they were young and everybody thought they were beautiful and, and handsome and, and they want to try to stay there so they get plastic surgery done and that starts sagging and they get more done and that starts sagging and they get more done and pretty soon, you know, they got their face stretched back so far it looks like they're in a perennial windstorm, you know? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is 
We can't get stuck there. But youth is a valuable time. It's a precious time that we must not despise or look down on. But it is not an end in itself. What is youth? Youth is simply life in transition. Now, parents, grandparents, I speak to myself now. I'm a parent of two teenage girls. Pray for me. I have two teenage girls now. Thankfully, thankfully they're both wonderful, uh, level-headed, God-fearing, God-loving girls. So I thank God for that because if they weren't, I probably would have just been killed off already because I've already learned so much. You know, I grew up, I had one sister, but she was so much younger than me that I didn't really pay attention to what it was like, how they played. And then, so it's been a real eye-opening thing for me having girls in the house. Um, this is totally off the subject, but, uh, but uh, you know, like uh, they, when they have their friends over, girls play so differently than boys. I never, I never once had my buddies over to the house and said, hey, hey, let's go through the closet and try on all my clothes. <laughs> He just, he just, when my girls started doing that, I was like, I don't get this. Why is this fun? And then, and then why do I have to pick them up? I don't understand this. Anyway. But, but I want to say this. Now that I have two teenage girls in the house, my goal in child rearing has changed over the years. And I have determined in my heart that most of us American parents make a great mistake as we approach our children's teenage years because we set as our goal to raise happy teenagers. And I believe that is a terrible mistake. It's no longer my goal to have happy teenagers. It is my goal to have happy healthy, holy adults one day. The goal of parenting is not to get kids to 16 or 17 and 18 to have them be happy. The goal of parenting is to get our kids through the teenage years and to get them through 16 and get them past 17 and get them beyond 18 and to have them move into responsible, mature, God-fearing adulthood. Oh, You know, you're a teenager for just a little while. It's like a fleeting moment. 12 is over, 13 is there, and, and in just a moment you wake up and 19 is over, and you're 20, and those, those teenage years are done. The teenage years are, are, are some of the most fleeting and brief periods of life lived at an absolutely accelerated pace. They fly by, and yet we turn our eyes inward on youth. And we fasten it in, in on our teen years, and the world says to stay right there. And I say to the teenagers of this community, to this church, uh, of your families, I, I say, you know, teenagers are dwarfed in their approach to maturity and their ability to find happiness in life because they set as their goal to be a happy teenager. I want to say to every teenager, don't worry about being a happy teenager. Don't give it a second thought. The goal of life is not to be a happy teenager. The goal is to get through your teenage years and to turn into a happy, productive, whole, sane, reasonable, rational, sanctified, blood-washed child of the King who is a full-grown adult. And God knows we could use some more of those. Yes. So that's the goal in life. Don't set your goal to be a happy teenager. Set your goal to be a happy adult. I, I believe, though, that somewhere along the line, Satan has sold a pack of lies Specifically to the, especially to the American teenager. I believe that Satan has lied to our teens. And there are, there are a vast multiplicity of these lies. And, 
And uh, we, we could be here for weeks and weeks on end uh, just talking about the many different lies. But I, I've isolated just a few of these lies uh, by observing American culture, by spending a great deal of my life in youth ministry. You may or may not know this, but I was, I was in youth ministry for over, over two decades. And so I've been around teenagers a lot. I still love youth ministry. I still love teenagers. But I believe that I've been able to identify a few of these lies that have been most productive for the kingdom of darkness. These are lies that have yielded the greatest results for Satan and and for for his hosts that oppose the health and happiness and holiness of our American teenagers. So these are some of those lies. The first lie, now, now listen to this. The first lie that Satan wants a teenager to believe is is that short-term gratification brings long-term happiness. Now, I believe that's the most effective lie in our our culture in America that, that Satan uses, not just with teenagers, but he starts right there in saying he wants you to believe that short-term gratification in your teenage years is what's really important, that, that what, getting what you want right now is what matters because you'll be happy, but the, the, the reality of it is it may bring some happiness in the short term, but you're, it is an enemy of long-term happiness to, to, pro, to give in to short-term gratification. And, and this may be the, the lie that destroys the, the, the long-term happiness of more people than any other lie in America. This is why people are drowning in, in credit card debt, because they, 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 they believe the lie that the short-term gratification is going to bring me long-term happiness. And so we borrow, 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 and then we can't pay back. And when we can't pay back, then we, we, we find out that what we have actually done is destroyed our long-term happiness by getting something that is only fleeting and wears, wears out and, and gets broken. And, you know, you've been there, haven't you? Have you ever bought a brand new car? Is there anything, you may not agree with me, but there's nothing better than a new car smell. I love that smell. You know what? My car does not smell new anymore. To be honest with you, I don't know what happened in the back seat of my car. I have no idea whatsoever. But there are times I open the door and I think, this smells like dirty gym socks. I don't get this. That new smell, it goes away. The luster, the, the shine, it goes away. And then in the end, we, we've got the one thing that we wanted in our short-term gratification, but now we've got to pay for years and years and years. It becomes the enemy. Instead of a long-term happiness, uh, it brings long-term unhappiness in the highest order. For, for, and we're talking about teenagers with, with short-term gratification. Listen, for a moment of stolen sex in the back of an automobile, for a moment of the of gratification of the flesh and what's happened, a child is created, maybe a disease is transmitted, a conscience is sullied, a heart is corrupted, a spirit is wounded, and sin is committed, and, and, and a lifetime, a lifetime of grief and sin is born. I know a pastor who sat in his office counseling with a young married couple. and There was deep, deep bitterness in their hearts toward each other. They had two children. And they were on the verge of breaking up, on the verge of divorce. And the pastor spent a lot of time trying to get to the bottom of it all, to try to find out what the problem is. Here's what I've learned a long time ago with, with marriage counseling, really with any problem, that when two people come to you and, and say, here's the problem, the problem is very rarely ever the problem. 
It's usually something that goes back much further and much deeper. And so finally he, he asked them and trying to get to the bottom of it, he said, let me ask you a question. Did you two have premarital sex? Were you sleeping with each other before you got married? And spontaneously, just in the instant, that young wife burst out in tears and said, yes, yes, and I hate him for it. They'd been married for years, for years. They're both Christians. They produced two children, married for years, but she still feels that bitterness and that resentment that this young man who was supposed to be the spiritual leader in their relationship, years later she was still bitter because that young man who had God-given responsibility, it, it, it was his responsibility to lead her closer to God and to the things of the kingdom of God, betrayed her conscience and led her into seduction and she still resented him for it. Not only that, when the tears began streaming down her face and she said, I hate him for that. Do you know what he said? He said, and I hate her too. He said, how do I know that I'm the only one? See, trust had been undermined in their whole relationship. Remember, they'd been married for years. He said, if she would sleep with me, how do I know that she wouldn't sleep with anybody else? Years later. Now, listen. To young people, I'm just—I'm not any kind of a diplomat. Diplomat. It's probably not proper to talk about this in church, and I'm just not smart enough to beat around the bush. I just try to give it to you. But listen to me. I'm talking to you from from the bottom of my heart. I believe it's from the heart of God. Make a long run decision for holiness, and you will find long term happiness. Make a long-run decision for holiness, and you'll know long-term happiness. I'm telling you, if you could only see this one thing, you would get great profit for your life today. Make a short-run decision for the gratification of the flesh, and you will, in one way or another, directly or indirectly, you will know long-term unhappiness. The second lie that Satan has told young people is this. Now listen to this. This is a subtle and an evil lie. He has told young people, here's lie number two. It's hard to be a Christian. He says it's hard to be a Christian. Don't, don't commit yourself to be a Christian because you probably can't make it. It's tough to put your shoulder to the wheel. It's tough to, to put your nose to the grindstone to live year after year for Christ. Listen, I believe that is a, a filthy, rotten lie, and I rebuke that lie in the name of Jesus. It's not hard to be a Christian. It's not hard to wake up in the morning and know that my sins are forgiven. It's not hard to know that your wife is in love with Jesus and that she's in love with you. It's not hard to know that you've got your soul and you've got your sanity. It's not hard to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not difficult to have a focus in life and meaning and purpose in life. It's not difficult to, to, to live sanity and happily it's not difficult do you want to know what's hard the bible says the way of the transgressor is hard i'll tell you what's hard what's hard is have to have the doctor sit across from you from the on the at the desk and say i'm sorry but you've got you've got aids and it doesn't look good for you it's not hard to leave as a christian i'll tell you what's difficult it's difficult to have to look your dad in the eye and say dad i made a poor decision and i'm pregnant I'll tell you what's hard. It's hard to have hatred and bitterness and sin. And it's hard to live with guilt. And it's hard to live with the condemnation that the enemy brings into your life the morning after and day after day after day. It's hard to hate yourself and to hate other people because of sin. Satan has lied to our teens. He's told them that it's hard to be a Christian. And it's not hard to be a Christian. What's hard is to die at 56 of cirrhosis of the liver because you've been drinking all your life. What's hard is, is to, to see ill 
illegitimate children spawned by people who don't care about them. Don't tell me it's hard to live as a Christian. It's a joy to live as a Christian. It's a privilege to live as a Christian. It's a rich, full, wonderful life. How in the world could Satan ever sell that lie that it's hard to be a Christian? What, what kind of dopes do we have to be to believe that? Why did I believe it? I spent years of my life looking for a party somewhere and it never, never paid out for me. I, I, I pursued sin like a hound dog and the only thing it ever gave me was guilt and fear and anxiety and depression. Why in the world are our young people killing themselves and each, each other at the rate that they are? We have one of the highest teenage suicide rates in the world. Our children are killing themselves. Why? And, and, and if the answer was uh, that, that uh, the short-term gratification brings happiness, then that would make no sense at all because our kids often get everything that they want. And, and why are they doing I believe part of it is that because they have believed the lie of the enemy that is difficult, that it's hard, that it's painful to be a Christian, but it would bring, bring joy and happiness and fulfillment to live under the power and the bondage of sin. It's the lie that the prodigal son believed. And they yielded themselves to it. They submitted to that lie and it never paid out. Listen, everybody here knows this. Satan is a liar and a thief. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And teenagers have got to get this into their minds. Satan is not a gentleman. He is a lethal beast, a roaring lion. He has one focus in his entire existence, and it is to rip your throat out. Uh, you know, American teenagers are the silliest things in the world when they toy with Satan, when they, with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and they toy with the devil, and they toy with sin, and they toy with flesh, and they think that they can toy with God, but in the first place, God will not be mocked, and in the second place, Satan will not be mocked. Satan intends to destroy Got to get this in your minds. I, I want to spare the teenagers of our church and our community some of the grief and some of the nightmare of depression and, and things that, that many of us in this room have gone through because we believe these lies. Satan is not playing. Do you, do you think you can have a little bit of sin? A little bit of the world? A little bit of Christianity? A little bit of God? A little bit of Satan? Well, it never works that way. It never works that way. There, there, there's a singer... I don't even know who it is, but he's, uh, I heard a long time ago, he sings a song, it's a little, it's really kind of amusing, but he says, he sings this, don't let the devil ride, because if you let him ride, he's going to want to drive. And that's exactly right. If you let him in in the back seat, the next thing you know, you're struggling to control the steering wheel. And let me tell you, it happens in a New York minute. You let him in the back door, and pretty soon he's driving the car. You know, and this is how it happens. I mean, we've talked about this before. People don't fall into sin accidentally. You know, a man that, that doesn't go out and just accidentally fall into adultery on the way to get milk at the grocery store. It's something that he's been toying with for a long time. It's something that he let in the back door and now all of a sudden the enemy has jumped in front and he's got the steering wheel and he's sitting over here and he's wondering, how in the world did I ever get here? It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's not hard. It's the most wonderful, fulfilling, exciting, adventuresome, joyful life known to man. And there is no other life. Without Christ, there is only existence in death. So the first lie was that short-term gratification brings long-term happiness. That's a lie. It's hard to be a Christian. That's a lie. And here's the next one. Listen to this. Lie number three. Nobody understands. 
Nobody understands. What, what a bunch of hooey. <laughs> Can I give you a theological term for it? In, in theology class, we call that hogwash. I don't even know what hogwash is. But uh, it's absolute, sheer, unmitigated baloney. A 15-year-old says to a 40-year-old adult, adult, you just don't understand. Well, of course he understands. He was 15 once. Of course we understand. You know, you look around, all, all the, the older people in this place, uh, if everybody that's here, if you're 60 years or older, I want you to raise your hand. Hold it up. Hold it up, okay? All right, you can look around, you can see all those hands. And uh, now, with those of you with your hands raised, leave them up, leave them up. All right, now, if you were, if you were ever 15, I want you to leave your hand up. If you weren't, if you skipped 15, then you take your hand down. All right, everybody, everybody here, your hand is still up. Uh, how many of you, uh, uh, j just keep your hand up for a minute. Uh, here's the next question. If you were ever 15, can you remember being 15? Every, everybody's here. Well, one hand went down. One, one hand went down. I was like, well, if you'd said 16, maybe. But, all right, all right, all right. Well, let, let's just, let's just, Miss Willie, your hand is up. You, can re you said you remember being 15. Uh, let, let me just ask you this. You remember what it was like being a 15-year-old girl, and you can remember that. Right, okay. So if a 15-year-old girl came up to you and said, Oh, you just don't understand. You don't know what it's like to be 15 and in love. Do you remember? Yes. <laughs> no hesitation there. Sure she does. Don't, don't ever let Satan tell you that nobody understands. By the way, this is a lie that he'll morph it and change it a little bit when you get older. As a teenager, he says, nobody understands. You're isolated in this. They don't get it. When you get older, he'll change it a little bit and he'll say, oh, you're all alone. Nobody cares. Same lie. Same lie. People do understand. We do understand. If you say to yourself, nobody understands, that leads you into, into error. Now listen, young people say to their parents, don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? Well, no! No, 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 no! If I, if I, if I trusted you, that would be proof that I don't understand. Don't be, parents, don't be dopey. Don't leave a 16-year-old boy alone with a 16-year-old girl in a house all alone while you drive around, you know, house shopping. You know, what's the matter with you? My goodness gracious. They'll look at you with the guilelessness of little dove and say, don't you trust me? You look at them and say, no, not for a second. Because we understand. We understand the confusion. We understand the loneliness. We understand the mixture of feelings and emotions that you're going through. We understand all the confusion that comes with all the changes in life. And I, I know that you stare at this decrepit old body before you, and, and it's hard to imagine th that I remember what it was like to be 17. And I'm telling you, it went by like lightning. And, and adults, you can back me up on this. The weird thing is this. I look at this old body in the mirror... And I can't figure out who that is. Anybody here relate with that? I don't look like this to me. This is not what my brain thinks I am. Anybody understand what I'm talking about here? You know, that's why, you know, I, I went to, when I was in Georgetown, I went to play volleyball with a bunch of young kids. I love volleyball, volleyball. Played for years. And I went to hit the ball. I just did this. I hit the ball. And it messed up my elbow. 
It's like, what happened here? One time, my back went out. Anybody ever have your back go out on you? You know, it doesn't happen when you're a kid. But I, you know how my back, you know what I was doing, how I, how I put my back out? I was sitting on the sofa typing on my computer. Oh, oh, shouldn't have hit that T, you know. I, you don't have to do anything when you get older. It just happens. And that's why, you know, but, but our brain doesn't understand this. I always say my brain writes checks that my, that my body can't cash, you know. But, uh, but, but that's how we, we get messed up. We, we, we mess up our knees because, you know, we get out on the basketball court with some young whippersnapper. And we know we can beat this kid because we know a lot more about the game. And, and, and so we get out there and we know what to do. And we make our move and our mind says, sends a telegram to our legs and says, jump. And our knee says, think again, sucker. We remember what it's like to be young. We remember the vitality. We remember the confusion. We remember everything that's going on. We all remember. And we survived it. And through the process, we learned a thing or two. You know, I've heard people say, oh, I wish I could be 17 again. Only if I could keep what I learned <laughs> since that time. Because I don't want to be 17 and confused and lost and wondering what in the world life is all about again. Satan has lied, lied to, to our teenagers. He said, these old fuddy-duddies, they were never teenagers. And I give it to you on the authority of Almighty God. Every person in this room that's, that's older was a teenager at one point in time in their life. And we do understand. Next lie is this. This, this is the last one. Satan has lied to you in, with, with a... Filthy, rotten, deceptive lie. Here it is. And some of you, I'll explain it because you might not understand. You might know what, not where I'm going with this. Lie number four is, this is the best time of your life. Parents, grandparents, teachers, school principals, pastors, adults of every stripe and order have unfortunately with the best of intentions reinforced that satanic lie. We say, enjoy your high school years. It's the best time of your life. Well, you know, I feel like rebuking that lie in the name of Jesus. It may be one of the most carefree times in your life, but this is not the best time of your life. It's not the best time of your life because maturity is to come and maturity is better than immaturity. Experience is better than inexperience. Wisdom is better than foolishness. Growth and development are better than stagnation. Balance and depth and control living with the wisdom of God are better than youthful energy without direction, purpose, and self-control. This is not the best time of a teenager's life. Why, from, from adolescence until about 24 or 25, it may turn out to be the worst time of your life. The best advice I can give you is don't believe it's the best time of your life. My goodness, you, you tell a teenager that is lonely and confused and upset and his girlfriend has just broken up with him and he's got this demonic new math staring at him in his face and, and acne's all over his face and you say, this is the best time of your life. No wonder they want to give up. Listen, I've got good news for, for, for our kids. If you can just live through this, adulthood is great. It's awesome. It, I don't even know how, how I made it through my teenage, teenage years. But I can tell you that adulthood is so much better. Being married to my soulmate, the love of my life, 
is so much better. Having two beautiful children along with the maturity and the means to care for them is so much better. This is not the, the, the teenage years is not the best, best time of, of, a, of a person's life. If you can just hold on to God and hold on to your soul and hold on to your sanity and get through this time of your life, I promise you that the best is yet to come, that God's got a plan for your life that goes well beyond anything you've experienced in your teenage years. And it's not this, that this is the best time of your life, but that God, what God has for you and his plan for your life is far better than you can ever ask or even imagine. Satan has lied to you. He's lied to you about pleasure. He's lied to you about life. He's lied to you about Christianity. He's lied to you about rebellion. He's lied to you uh, about that nobody understands. He's lied to you that this is the best time in your life. But God will tell you the truth. And God says your youth is important. Give it to me. He says, listen, your teenage years are not a throwaway part of your life where you just have fun and do whatever foolishness you want to do. He says, you need to follow me in your youth. Give yourself to me in your youth so that I can shape you and make you ready for what I want to do in your adulthood. It's not a throwaway time. God says, your youth is important. Give it to me. He says, make your youth count for me. Be an example of love. Be an example of purity. Be an example of holiness and of truth and decency. Be an example in the way you talk. Be an example in the way that you live. Be an example in your love for Christ. Be an example in your love and appreciation and obedience to your parents. Be an example in the way that you walk with your friends. Be an example in the way that you live. In 1794, we'll close with this story. In 1794, in Lincoln County, North Carolina, there was a revival that took place, a move of God. That revival was carried by a Methodist circuit writer named William McKendry from Lincoln County, North Carolina to Logan County, Kentucky. Logan County, Kentucky was commonly known as Rogue's Harbor. It was a haven for moonshiners, robbers, murderers, outlaws. But William McKendry, who had been converted in the 1794 revival in Lincoln County, North Carolina, began to preach there, house to house, tavern to tavern, village to village, and revival broke out in Rogue's Haven. And there was such a move of the Holy Spirit in Logan County, Kentucky, that the power of God shut down the saloons. And made it one of the safest counties in America by the turn of the century. In that revival, there was a man named Peter Cartwright that was converted. He became licensed as a preacher and his contribution to the American frontier and to the spread of the gospel in that frontier. It's almost mythical. It's so huge. Peter Cartwright was one of the most anointed men of God that has ever lived. There was another man that was converted in that revival. He became a local Baptist preacher in Logan County, Kentucky. When he announced his call to preach, a local banker paid his way to go to Bible school. That Baptist preacher, Reverend James, had two sons, Jesse and Frank. The first bank that Jesse James ever robbed was the bank that was owned by the man who had paid his dad's way to Bible school. He was brought up right in the heart of a great revival. You know, we think about Jesse James as being the product of some awful society, but Jesse James was brought up in a Baptist parsonage. He was brought up hearing the word. He was brought up on, on the heritage of a county that produced Peter Cartwright. He was brought up in the home of a man who was sent to Bible school by a Christian spirit-filled banker who paid his Bible school tuition. Yet in the face of all that Jesse James believed, all of that he believed the lie. 
He rebelled against his parents. He rebelled against their God. He rebelled against their way. He, he believed that his teenage years were the most important years of his life, and he squandered his adulthood for the pursuit of the immediate gratification of his flesh. And he died as an outlaw. And the name of Jesse James became feared throughout the American West. How pathetic. Do you know what terrorizes me? It's not that some kid today living outside of God is planning some horrible act. That's, that's frightening enough. God knows that. But what really terrifies me is that there is some teenager brought up in the heart of Pentecostal America who has heard the gospel and sung the songs and knows all the praise choruses and can quote the scripture who is believing the lie of the enemy and is just about to squander the one thing that he or she can give to God. Give your youth to God while you have it. Say, here, O oh Lord, all I have is now. If you're 15, you don't know that you'll see 16. If you're 17, you don't know that you'll see 27. All you've got is 17. If you're 17, give him 17. If you're 8, give him 8. If you're 68, give him 68. If you're 50, give him 50. All you've got is now. Rebuke the lie and rebuke the liar and give God your now. Despise not your youth. Would you bow your head? Let's pray. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us. We want to be more effective.